This podcast is marketing material for a South Africa investment professional only. Welcome to the Global Market Perspective, uh, the podcast from Schroders, designed to help professional investors in South Africa navigate global investments. This is Gavin Ralston, head of the Strategic Client Group at Schroders, and with me today is Pia Sachdeva, a member of our economics team. I'm in North London. Uh, Pia, where are you joining us from? I'm in Nottingham today. Which is about 150 miles north of London? Yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> Out in the countryside. Excellent. Uh, so we're speaking uh, on the 2nd of October, so just a month away from the US election. And we're speaking also two days after the first and acrimonious presidential debate and a few hours after the news that President Trump has tested positive for COVID. Uh, So we're going to spend much of the time today looking at the US election. Pia has been doing some excellent work recently on the impact of the election on economic policy and also on how markets behave around the elections. But before we get into that, we'll look at the, the more general macro environment, look at how uh, the recovery is proceeding. Right now, in terms of markets, uh, the elections are colliding with COVID as a primary influence. The most recent infection numbers have been climbing again, alarmingly so in some countries. And this has really been the story behind the month of September when Unusually for this year, equity markets fell, and actually the U.S. market fell by more than the rest of the world. Uh, The dollar is also having weakened between March and August to strengthen slightly uh, this month, this last month, including against the South African rand. So, Pia, turning to you and looking at how this uh, infection rate is feeding through to economic growth, what's the latest data telling you about the, the pace of recovery in the U.S. and Europe? So over the summer, the US and Europe have experienced fairly good recoveries. Uh, This really reflects the pent-up demand as those economies have come out of lockdown and restrictions have have eased. But more recently, the recovery has lost momentum. um, And so it it is slowing. Some of the data is is showing that. Um, The recent dip in the PMI survey, for example, shows that within Europe, the recovery in the service sector has slowed significantly. And so this not only reflects more restrictions following the second wave of infections of COVID, uh, but also that households remain remain cautious. And so there is a bit of a scarring effect here. And it, it looks from uh, a lot of the, particularly the GDP data, that so far at least the US economy has been less affected than Europe. And that, that's something of a surprise in the sense that the US seems to have less control over infection rates than Europe is. But is, is that going to be the story for the next 12 months? The US doing at least less badly than Europe? Uh, so you're right. Q2 GDP in the US fell by less than the Eurozone. Uh, and I think that probably reflects the fact that Europe had national lockdowns, whereas for the US, it was very much a state by state story with various states imposing different measures. Um, and that meant that the scale of the lockdown in the US was, was lower than in Europe. Um, but going forward, uh, just mechanically, you know, Europe has seen um, a bigger hit to growth. And so we do expect a, a stronger bounce back in the third quarter. Uh, and then the fiscal policy should help, should help the Eurozone next year. And also some of the 
um, fairly generous support on the labour market side that the Europe that Europe has had should mean that the Europe tends to do quite well versus versus the US. But doesn't the the generous support for employment suppress the the unemployment rate artificially? And when that support is removed, as is about to happen here in the UK, uh, won't we see big jumps in unemployment in Europe? So the new version of so the new version of the furlough scheme in the UK, where the government and the firm make contributions, will continue into the middle of next year. And the European equivalent has also been pushed out to the end of next year. So in terms of the unemployment outlook, it, it will suppress that. And, but we still expect a gradual rise in unemployment rather than a short, a short sharp rise. Uh, and in the US, unemployment should continue to come down, but with the pace falling as the recovery remains quite gradual. And you mentioned a moment ago fiscal stimulus, which has obviously very, been very helpful in at least reassuring markets since March. But in, in the recent past, we, we, there still seems to be an impasse between Congress and the White House on a new stimulus package in the US. And you know, in recent days, we've heard news that the EU recovery fund seems to be being delayed. Do you think we're at the end of the process where fiscal stimulus has been helpful? I think the, the answer to that is essentially yes, um, but I think we're more concerned about that for the outlook of the US rather than Europe. Uh, so firstly, on the, the EU recovery fund, which is 5.4% of GDP, we had expected the impact of that fund really to start coming through at the end of next year. So it wasn't necessarily a short-term boost to the economy. Um, and as I've said, the, the EU already has quite generous government support when it comes to the equivalent of the furlough schemes and, and subsidising wages. But that's really for the economy to survive rather than lift demand, which is important as Europe struggles with the second wave of infections. And on the US, again, it's a slightly different story. You know, we were expecting a $1 trillion package to come through in spending. And that really provides a downside risk to our growth forecast next year of about one percentage point. Um, but if we did get a democratic sweep in um, in the election, the Democrats clearly support a bigger package. So this could change the outlook of fiscal policy in the US. But again, we wouldn't expect the impact of that to come through on growth until the second quarter of next year at the, at the very uh, closest. So moving on to the election, as you just mentioned, um, at the time we're speaking, the average of the polls for the presidency suggests about a seven percentage point lead for Biden over Trump. Uh, the history of 2016 would suggest that the polls are not necessarily a good guide to what's actually going to happen. Do you think we can trust what the polls are telling us now? Yeah, the, the national polls have been pointing to Biden winning with a fairly significant margin. When we look at the most important swing states, they are polling very narrowly. So uh, that's definitely something to, to bear in mind and to, to focus on. I think the polls should always be taken with a pinch of salt. Of course, in, as you said, in 2016, the polls did get it wrong. And in a post-mortem, this was found to be for a few reasons. So firstly, the shy Trump vote, uh, voters did 
some voters didn't want to declare their preference for voting Trump. Um, the second factor was last minute decision makers. So a high proportion of voters didn't know who they were going to vote for and so therefore didn't tell the pollsters that. Um, and finally, the polls tended to oversample educated voters um, and they have democratic voting preferences. So that, would sh that was showing um, a higher spread for Clinton than it actually was. And when we've done some analysis on this um, this time around, we think that all these factors are slightly less of a concern this time, um, but we have corrected the polls in our internal analysis to, to maybe take into account those factors so we can get an idea of the risk scenarios. Um, but you know, finally, the, the polls are showing that it's a narrow race, so I think that's the main point to take away, um, slightly skewing towards Biden. Uh, and of course, there are other indicators that we can use to assess the outcome of the election. So we, we'd have to take a more hostilic approach. So let's look at the different scenarios. So one scenario is that Biden wins and there's a Democrat clean sweep of the Senate. Um, another is that uh, Biden wins and the Republicans retain control of the Senate. And then, of course, Trump can win and actually in, uh, possible that Trump will win and uh, the Democrats win control of the Senate. Uh, that's something that's been talked about in recent days. Can you just talk us through the, the economic implications of these different scenarios? Yeah, so firstly, if we start with a Biden win, a bit of divided Congress, so the Democrats retain the House and, and Republicans get the Senate, that's our central scenario. Um, and as we've said, the polls are slightly pointing towards a Biden win, the, the polls are also pointing to the Senate being pretty much 50-50 between Republicans and Democrats. Um, so in this, in this situation, I think there's three main factors to, to think about when it comes to the economic outlook. So firstly, there's less scope for fiscal stimulus in a, in a divided Congress. Um, and secondly, Biden is likely to take more of a multilateral approach when it comes to trade relations. And finally, in, uh, in a split Congress with the Biden presidency, there's less concern about Biden increasing corporate taxes, as this does need congressional approval. Um, if I move on to a Democratic clean sweep, so Biden wins the presidency and also the House and the Senate. Um, we do have, in our economic outlook, we do have a Democratic sweep scenario um, that we've put a fairly high probability on. Uh, but in short, this gives Biden more scope to expand fiscal policy. And so we see this as a reflationary scenario. Um, and, and consequently, you know, this results in a rise in growth and in inflation compared to our baseline estimates. Um, but otherwise, uh, Biden could also potentially raise the corporate tax to 28%, which would lower S&P profits by roughly 8%, according to our estimates. Um, we could also see a rise in the, in the minimum wage, which would also weigh on corporate profits. And then finally, this, the scenario that you, that you said was the Trump presidency and a split Congress. Um, I think Trump has been fairly vague in terms of, uh, in terms of his policy agenda if he was to do a second term. Uh, we think the, the foreign policy outlook would be very similar to what we've seen in his first term with Trump taking a very hardline approach uh, and the, the risk of US-China trade wars really reigniting. Um, and finally, in, uh, sorry, just when it comes to, to Congress, again, there'll still be the similar discussions to, to fiscal policy as we're seeing now. And in, in the Democrat clean sweep 
uh, scenario where you talked about more um, fiscal spending. How worried are you about the starting point in terms of the size of the budget deficit already and the size of accumulated debt? Is that going to be a constraint on what the Democrats could do? Yeah, so we are quite concerned longer term about the the debt picture and in the long term it does provide a constraint on how much the democrats could spend in that situation and um, this year the u.s deficit has exploded and it's very much a story across developed markets as governments have stepped in to support the economy and provide many bridging loans uh, and other measures of support to to really help the economy survive um and in the near term, the Fed continuing its asset purchase program uh, is likely to keep bond yields very, very low. And so in the short term, we're less concerned in the US. Um, but longer term, this will likely result in uh, a period of financial repression where interest rates remain very low for a, for a long period of time, given high debt levels. And the other scenario we ought to consider is that of a contested election. Um, President Trump has already been quite ambivalent about whether he would leave office uh, if Biden were to win. That's a pretty negative scenario for markets, isn't it? Yes, and we are concerned about that situation, particularly if the race is very narrow. Um, the sheer number of postal votes and the fact that Trump's already spoken about this um, it means it's on our radar, but a contested election would in increase in uncertainty. And as we know, markets really don't like uncertainty. And um, yeah, the dollar could definitely see some safe haven flows in this scenario as well. And I know one, one of the pieces of research we've done showed that when the incumbent loses, uh, markets tend to be very weak up to the point of the election probably reflecting the fact that incumbents lose because the economy's in, in, in poor state. You, the other thing you, um, you touched on briefly was the, um, the impact of a new president on uh, the US relationship with the rest of the world, and in particular, China. Uh, Biden has said some quite critical things about China as well. Do you think a new president would make much difference to US-China relations? It's a good question. It's become more of a consensus view in Washington that China needs to be held accountable for its unfair trade practices. And so a hard line on China is now a bipartisan approach. Um, but in Biden's, um, in Biden's campaigns, he's really communicated that his approach is likely to be building relationships with his allies to form a united front against China. Um, and so in this respect, he'll go back to an international rules-based order, which is very different from what we've seen in a Trump presidency. Um, but And for markets, this could really help overseas assets relative to the US, which is potentially a trend we're beginning to see, um, particularly if there's a, if there's a democratic sweep. Um, but yeah, the main difference is really that Biden is likely to take more of a hardline approach when it comes to human rights issues um, and potentially a more um, focus on the military as well, a bit like what we had in the Obama administration. Um, but we don't see the trade wars itself being as much of a risk in a Biden presidency. And you mentioned that Biden would be more engaged with multilateral institutions like the World Health Organization and NATO and so on, which presumably is good news for defusing geopolitical tensions. 
Yes, I think, uh, you know, as the pre potential president of the largest economy in the world, to, to have them engaged in the international organisations, it does diffuse the uh, geopolitical, um, geopolitical risk more broadly, yes. And I know you also did some work on the the longer history of how markets behave around elections and in different political scenarios. The, the conventional wisdom, if you like, is that markets will do better under Republican presidents because they're more pro-business and less well under a Democrat president. What, what does history actually tell us is the reality of that divide? Yes, yeah, so when we've looked at the data, we found that that's not necessarily true. And uh, when we've looked at market returns through the whole election term, we found that on average, returns have actually been higher in democratic regimes than Republican ones. Uh, and so we think from our work that what's really important is the policies they enact rather than just blindly thinking that Democrats are bad for markets. Yeah, so I think I'm right in saying that the return on the S&P 500 was slightly higher in Obama's second term than it has been under Trump's presidency. Uh, both very good positive returns, but that, that speaks to that point that there's no um, obvious dichotomy between Republican and Democrat when it comes to market returns. Yes, exactly. I think that's a, that's a good data point to look at. Okay, so we're out of time for this edition of the Global Market Perspective. Uh, we'll obviously be able to say much more in a month's time about the progress of the election in the US and how markets have responded to it. But in the meantime, uh, thank you very much, Pia, for sharing your thoughts and your work with us. And thank you all very much for listening. Thank you. The value of investments and the income from them may go down as well as up, and investors may not get back the amounts originally invested. Past performance is not a guide to future performance and may not be repeated. Schroeder's Investment Management Limited is an authorized financial services provider. FSP number 48998, registration number 01893220, incorporated in England and Wales. The information is not an offer, solicitation or recommendation. Any funds, services or products mentioned might not be appropriate for all listeners. Please speak to a financial advisor if you are unsure as to the suitability of any investment.